today about my special guest. I was given his book a few years back, and it's called The Question Behind the Question. And I read it, and you know, I think sometimes you read things and maybe you don't get the whole message, and then all of a sudden they are brought back into your life again. And that's the case with this particular book. My good friend Cheryl Marr asked me about it one day on a walk, and I said, oh yeah, I read that book years ago, and she decided to drop it off for me again. And this time it really hit home in a lot of different ways, maybe because I'm a little older and wiser, or, well, maybe not older, but hopefully wiser. <laughs> but anyway, I reached out to Mr. John Miller, John G. Miller, and he is the author of this book, and I was so excited when he agreed to do our podcast today. So I'm not going to say a whole lot more because I'm going to let him tell us all about him. So a huge, huge warm welcome to John G. Miller. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Marguerite. Great to be on with you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I'm glad that you got the QBQ book. The, the title is QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, and uh, it's something I wrote a few years ago, and to be honest, we've sold about 1.2 million copies. I know it sounds kind of haughty to mention that, but we're excited because when I first came up with the idea of QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, I didn't have any idea where it would go. But I actually coined the phrase, The Question Behind the Question, in 1994, I was 36 years old. I was selling leadership and sales management and sales training to corporations in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul at that time. And I had done that for eight or nine years, and and I had sat in a, a lot of sessions. I figure, looking back at it, Marguerite, I probably sat in 10,000 hours of workshops with really good people, sales teams, management teams, middle management teams, executive groups. Many of these projects lasted three days. And and I was listening, and I started hearing people asking some really dangerous questions. And, of course, I figured out I was asking them, too. But questions like, why do we have to go through all this change? And I thought about that. Well, wait a minute. You can't stop the change. You can't stop the world from changing. Nobody really – do we really want a static world? I know I don't. I'm kind of a roller coaster person, not a merry-go-round person, so I like change. But I'm thinking, why do we have to go through all this change? That does not sound like – a productive question. What if we ask this question? How can I adapt to the changing world? What can I do to adapt to the changing world? And so I thought, that's a better question. And it hit me. That's the question behind the question, the QBQ. Wow. So I went out and I started talking about getting rid of the lousy questions and asking the good questions and other lousy questions. We can talk about many. Here's a, here's a common one. When is someone going to train me? Like if I'm in sales, why don't I get more training and coaching from my manager? If I'm in real estate, why doesn't my broker do more for me? Well, wait a minute. What about this question? What can I do to develop myself? So I started teaching the question behind the question, the QBQ, and I immediately recognized it put me on a path to personal accountability. So in the mid-90s, I left the training company I was with. I left my mentor who actually was in real estate. I didn't sell real estate training, but that was his background. I left him after a decade. I went off. I started teaching QBQ and uh, personal accountability, and a few years later, we moved out of Minneapolis, the Arctic tundra, and we moved <laughs> to Denver, Colorado. We've been here 17 years. 
And all I do is go around the country talking about personal accountability and the QBQ. You know, and I'll tell you what I personally love about it, because I think that that a lot of times we follow certain paths in our lives, but we don't always realize that there's a method behind it or a, a process, right? And I think that mm-hmm. what I've learned about personal accountability is when you take 100% responsibility for something, you'll find a way to fix it. But the moment that you have the opportunity to blame someone else or you make the choice to blame someone else, all of a sudden it's like the brakes are put on and now you feel like, well, I don't have to look at that anymore because it's not my problem, right? Totally. And, you and you were right on target. Loved, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I loved the most about this book is because it forces you – well, it doesn't force you. It, it helps you choose – a way to look at it in a different way so that you mm. can find that personal accountability spot and work right. towards making a change. When I speak to groups, I, I often uh, say this line, this, this, this piece of content, uh, when I do not own my decisions, my choices, there is no learning. So if you go back, and I often use this example, if you go back to 2006, and, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who's making 55000 a year, but i got to have a $400,000 home because I've got to compete with the Joneses and I need four and a half bathrooms. And I go out and I buy a house on a shaky mortgage, kind of a strange balloon payment of some sort. And a, a year later, I can't afford that mortgage. I lose that house and I angrily rip out half the air conditioner, the furnace and the, and the hardware out of the plumbing and the, and the, and the bathroom. And I, and I leave that house and I blame the bank. I blame the lender. I blame George Bush, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac for my mistake. There's only one name, maybe two, on that mortgage. Mine. I chose greediness. But now I can choose learning. But if I don't stop blaming somebody beyond me, like the bank, like the politicians, like the lenders, I will never grow. So until I own my decisions, own my mistakes own my choices, there is no learning. And that's what you just said in different words. The QBQ, I don't mind the word forces, but it forces me, it helps me stop and go, wait a minute, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed this happened. What can I do to fix it? What can I do to contribute? That's personal accountability, and it sure beats all the other human traps we fall into. And that's really what QBQ is all about. Marguerite, is it helps us get rid of three human traps that we fall into, blame, victim thinking, and procrastination. And we can explore those if you'd like. Well, you know, I, I definitely want to dig into those. And, and it made me think of, you know, again, I'm in the real estate industry. And so a typical real estate transaction has so many different parties involved, mm-hmm. right? There's a real estate agent that's the listing side, the buying side, the lender, the title, the escrow people, the inspections, all that. And for some bizarre reason in the real estate industry, transactions historically close late. Mm. And no one ever admits to it, right? But right. they historically don't close on time. They're supposed to close on March 15th, and something happens, and they don't close until the 17th or the 18th mm-hmm. or whatever the story is. And I've always found it so fascinating that in that situation, no one ever takes responsibility. Like the lender blames the buyer. Oh, they didn't get their paperwork on time. The realtor blames the lender. Well, they didn't do their job on time. The escrow person says, well, the lender didn't get me the instructions. Or It's like all this stuff. 
and I just want to get them all on a conference call and say, what the heck? <laughs> like, can somebody, like, what can we do? What can, the, what can the solution be? How can we work together instead of everyone blaming each other? Let's figure out how to fix it, you know? Well, just get on that conference call and tell them. Yeah, get, get on the conference call, Marguerite, and just tell them all, go get a book called QBQ. <laughs> I'm going to buy them in bulk and start passing them out, that's for sure. I got to share a quick story. Yesterday there was a consultant out here in Colorado who works with a franchisor out of Nashville. My son-in-law owns a, a ServPro franchise, and ServPro is into the water and fire restoration business. They clean up after water damage, et cetera. Anyway, the consultant from Nashville is out here just helping Justin and my daughter, Tara, who own a franchise, been in business 18 months, and they're doing well, but it's good to have corporate support. And the Nashville guy comes out, and he's talking with Justin, and he says, now, I've got a few books I recommend you read. And the first one was QBQ. Oh, is that <laughs> and, awesome? And Justin says, pardon me, and turns around and pulls one off his shelf and says, my father-in-law wrote this. The guy could not believe it. <laughs> I think it was a very fun moment for my son-in-law. He was very proud to be the QBQ son-in-law. But I what that guy was saying, excuse me, what that that franchise consultant was saying was, you know, you're going to own your own business. you always got to take accountability. Well, it really doesn't matter who you are. You could be an employee for IBM, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees, and you could be a software programmer down within the bowels of IBM not running your own business, but you are running your own business. Everybody runs their own business. Everybody has a company called Self Inc. And so the minute I say, what can I do to own my life? What can I do to solve problems? What can I do to make a difference? That's personal accountability. And whether you're in real estate or you're a software programmer for IBM, life is better when I get rid of those three traps. Blame, victim thinking, procrastination. Yes. So... I know that recently, to change it up a little bit, I've seen a lot of posts that you've done on Facebook about parenting and mm. accountability and parenting. And um, so a little bit on me, my husband had three children with his first wife, and then we had three together. Wow. And when I met my husband, um, his youngest was a year old. So I've been in their lives really most of their life. Yep. And then um, we now, so they're all grown now with children of their own, and we have two uh, 18 and 20 year olds. And so I survived the teenage years somehow. <laughs> wow. Um, but it's been really fascinating because I've been reading some of your posts about, I think that many times it's the same situation with, with parenting, is that it's easy to say, well, that kid's just difficult or. Right. Um, that one's a challenge, or that one, you know, doesn't does that one that doesn't know what respect means. And my child is spirited. No, you're raising yes. a brat. Yeah, <laughs> and and just like some of the stuff you've you've posted, I I want to say, well, how did they get there? Like, I have a a quick story. I remember I had sure. a girlfriend who had a little a daughter who was three years old, and the daughter was kind of going through that like kind of the neener, neener, neener phase where they, she would kind of like give um, faces to her mom and, and was just being a three-year-old in a lot of ways. Sure. And the mom was like, I just don't know how to handle her. I don't know how to manage her. It's so frustrating. And then one night uh, a bunch of us were playing cards. We were the adults, not the kids. A bunch of us were, were playing a card game. And the mom got frustrated. And I'll never forget – she did that exact same look and that same tone of voice to the other people at the table. 
and I wanted to say, huh, I wonder where that three-year-old gets it from. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, I think that there's – I think it's so important with parenting. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that a little bit. Well, it's funny that you brought up the the story you just told because just yesterday I was over at that same daughter's house, Tara, the one that works with Justin and Surf Pro, and I and her daughter, who's uh, about 20 months now, McKenna Beth, was there playing alongside us while we were chatting, and and I said somehow I exclaimed, "Me, me, not me!" I was fooling around with my 29-year-old daughter saying something, and. From five feet away, the little 20-month-old who hardly speaks yet, I mean, she's trying, but she's still a, a toddler. She goes, me, me, me. <laughs> so, and I thought, wow, I've forgotten how much they emulate and copy the adults around them. So in the Parenting the QBQ Way book, uh, since my wife and I have raised seven, uh, we oh. decided, yep, yeah, we've got seven kids. We decided to put in a tough love kind of truth, and it says this, my child is a product of my parenting, period. It's not Hollywood. It's not the politicians. It's not the culture of our our country. It's not grandma. It's not their friends. And we've all heard that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. We've all heard that one. Well, my uh, my son got into some trouble because he got he started hanging around with the wrong crowd. Okay, yeah. Let's let's blame the crowd, mom and dad, for how our kids turn out. So this book, Parenting the QBQ Way, our newest book is a paperback, it's 12 bucks, and it's all about, you know, uh, saying what can I do to be a better parent. Another uh, core philosophy of the book is this, we, um, parenting is a learned skill. And I say this to groups, and they always get a chuckle out of it, which means there's some truth, because humor always touches on truth. I say, you know what, P- uh, parents, we need to stop reaching out on Facebook for knowledge. And, and the audience always laughs, because they know what's going on. The millennials are all reaching out on Facebook for for knowledge, hey, my, my toddler does this. What should I do? Well, you know, that might be fine, but how about going to some parents who have succeeded, they're older, they're wiser than you and your friends, and recognize that we can learn new skills from parents who have been there and gone there before us. So one of the concepts in this book is parenting is a learned skill. What that means is i got to stop winging it, I've got to make sure I'm not replicating the mistakes my parents made because all parents make mistakes. I can learn new processes, methodologies, tactics, and skills. See, that is totally contrary to this. Oh, he's just high-spirited, which we said a few minutes ago. Because the minute I go, well, he's just high-spirited, she's strong-willed, I basically said, I have nothing to do with his behavior and what he's becoming. I just got to let him control me. And so what that leads us to is way too many families. I think some, I think some of the moms and dads, Marguerite, were raised on the uh, the TV show Charles in Charge. I don't know if you remember that show, Charles in Charge. <laughs> yep. I, mean, I was born in 58, so it really wasn't one of my shows. But I, I, we're convinced that there are parents today raising families that, are, that could be titled Child in Charge. The child does not want to be in charge. Mom and dad, please hear me. The child does not want to be in charge, whether they are two or, or 17, no matter what you think about teenagers, they do not want to be the boss. That's mom's da- job. That's dad's job. And, of course, the, the boss role changes as our kids grow. Someday we have to let go and stop trying to build our kids and start relating to our kids. That's a whole chapter in the book, uh, building versus relating. But the point is, for strong parents, 
And that's what we talk about in the book. The book is being a strong parent, not a weak parent. A strong parent does not take charge of their toddler. A strong parent does not teach their 10-year-old respect. And we could go on and on with examples, but the bottom line of Parenting the QBQ Way is the book is not for the kid. The book is for mom and dad. And the reason I say that is sometimes when people first hear of the book, they go, oh, thanks, John and Karen, finally, a book I can use to make my 12-year-old do his homework. My, my, my teenage daughter speak to me respectfully. Finally, a book I can use to get my millennial son off the couch and out in the workforce. No, this book is not for the kid. The book is for mom and dad. Personal accountability, my child is a product of my parenting. Well, you know, what, what I love about that is that I think what many parents forget, and I know that there were times, obviously, in, in my parenting period that I forget this, is that you lead by example. Right. And, you know, that applies to everything. And so, you know, what I find is that people who have disrespectful kids are disrespectful adults and disrespectful parents. They say one thing to their child and turn around and say something to someone else. Like, you can't talk down to your child, talk disrespectful to your child, and then wonder why they do the same thing to you. Totally. Totally agree. You have to lead by example. And that includes when you talk to an 8-year-old, like they're, you know, a piece of garbage laying on the road that you wouldn't even talk to. You would never talk to another adult that way. Right. Why why would you do that? So you have to lead by example. I think it's so important, and I I agree with you 1,000%. People need to be paying attention to people like you who have the knowledge and experience or, you know, they're getting, like you said, they're getting advice from, a parent who's, or from a friend who's not even a parent yet. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know uh, the a blind leading the blind is a little bit harsh, but I am amazed when I watch on Facebook all these young parents asking each other what to do. Now, don't get me wrong, parents. We can certainly share a best practice here and there. But I know when I say that to an audience and they start laughing, I think what, what, what I'm touching on is some of the quote-unquote older parents are chuckling because they see their kids with kids searching for knowledge on Facebook when they could be coming to them, mom and dad, and asking for advice and tips. Anyway, the bottom line, accountable parents know it's a learned skill. They know their child is a product of their parenting. And they also know this. We say this in the book. If you're having problems with your teenager, you most likely had problems with your toddler. What that means is these parenting things, problems don't just develop overnight. See, it's easy to buy into the lie that all teenagers will drink, all teenagers will have sex before marriage, all teenagers will act out, all teenagers will be rude. That is a lie. We can raise different teenagers than what society says they should be. And the minute we say, well, he's just going through a phase, she's a typical teenager, we have absolved ourselves and abdicated ourselves, or abdicated from the leadership position of parenting. We have released ourselves of all accountability. And we're probably not remembering or knowing that we were a weak parent when he was three. And if he ruled the roost when he was three, he's going to rule the roost when he's 13. So personal accountability means, you know what, what can I do today to learn new skills? And that's what the Parenting the QBQ Way book is all about. And I just I think uh, I haven't actually bought that book yet, but I'm going out to get it today for sure. Thank you. <laughs> and 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 I'm going to give it to a few few friends and uh, my children most definitely. It's I just think it applies to so many areas of everything. You know, like you said earlier, 
about the parenting. It, it's my job. If my kids turn out crappy, it's really <laughs> crappy. That's a good that, term. You know, that that didn't do a great job. And if my kids turn out great, you also get to glow in in the fact that you did a great job. It applies right. to everything. You know, I, I've said for a long time too. I'm in charge of my own economy. You know, I've there been in go. real estate for 20 plus years, and I, and I've been through every market. I think just about. I've been through every every op, every. Op, different way the market could be up down mm-hmm. backwards sideways mm-hmm. and you know great agents do well in any market because you take charge you got to go out and figure it out you got to find a new way it, you know we saw in the market when it crashed how many agents jumped out of it right because they couldn't survive anymore and i think that that's where the personal accountability is so important you're also in charge of your own economy it's up to you yep well, what you just said is totally contrary to the entitlement and victim thinking that is running rampant in our society today. 99 weeks of unemployment insurance, or why won't people give me a job? We don't give people jobs. You earn jobs, and then you earn that job every single day. Every day you earn that job. You, you contribute, you get paid. The next day you contribute, you get paid. We could talk a long time about what's going on in the world today, but what the QBQ book speaks to is, wait a minute, have I become entitled? Have I, am I expecting to be given something when I should be earning it? What am I doing to contribute to the world? I mean, I may have a belief that, that society is full of victim thinking and there's a lot of lazy people out there, but I can't change them. I can change me, John Miller. So what can I do to be a better dad today? What can I do to be a better husband? I mean, Karen and I have been married 35 years, and we've struggled because we're different. And we're always working on letting go of that and just saying, wait a minute, what can I do to, to change me? In fact, sometimes, Marguerite, people ask me, uh, what's the number one takeaway from QBQ? And it's right there. I can only change me. And here's what's so funny. People start reading the book QBQ. They get about a third of the way into it, and they are thinking of all the people they know who need to read QBQ. You know, my, my, if I'm a manager, my staff needs it, my boss needs it, Uncle Joe needs it, my wife, my husband, my 22-year-old son, everybody else needs it. And right around page 30, I would guess, it's only an hour read, <clears throat> Excuse me. We, we challenge the reader to kind of look inside and say, okay, who have you been picturing while you've been reading this book? And I've had more people do what you're doing. They laugh and they tell me later, oh, my gosh, I was picturing five different people I needed to give this book to. But in the end, QBQ is, is for me. It, I mean, I'm, I'm going to publish a new blog tomorrow at QBQ.com, and it's simply going to be what I'm calling a reset. We forget that personal accountability is not for others. It is for me, and that's the reset. I've got a lot of fans out there that love QBQ. It's not about John Miller. It's about the idea, QBQ. And they, they start thinking about all the people who need it. But here's the reset blog. Wait a minute. This is for me, and, of course, I tell some stories to keep it interesting. But really what QBQ does for people is it eliminates blame, victim thinking, procrastination. Let me just give your listeners a couple examples of the questions we ask that take us to those traps. Let's start with victim thinking. Any question that begins with the word why and has a poor me tone. Why is this happening to me? Why don't they support me more? Why don't I get paid better? Why do they cut our benefits? When am I going to get more support? Those questions basically mean I'm saying, you know what, I'm, I have no power, I'm a victim, I'm entitled to something. And here's the problem with playing victim. When I play victim, I serve nobody. 
Sometimes I'll ask groups, who do we serve when we play victim? And someone will say, just ourselves. No, I'm not even serving myself when I play victim. So we need to avoid those questions that begin with why and have a poor me tone. The second trap is procrastination. So that, that, comes like, that sounds like this. When will they get back to me? When will the client return my call? When will I get a break? When will somebody solve this problem? When will they improve this place? When will somebody clarify my job? When will they give us the vision? The minute I say, when will they, when will he, when will she, Marguerite, I've said, today, I will habitually defer action to a future time so as to render no value to others. That's called procrastination. And as we say in QBQ, and I would instruct your listeners to not forget this, procrastination is the friend of failure. Procrastination is the friend of failure. You want to fail? Just get out of bed in the morning and say, when will they handle this? When will they get back to me? When will somebody solve this problem? And the third trap is blame. And blame sounds like this. It's culprit-seeking, culprit-seeking. Who dropped the ball? Who missed the deadline? Who made the mistake? So, wait a minute. doesn't matter. Just, yeah. just pause and say, okay, there's a problem here. What can I do to contribute? What can I do to help solve the problem? That's the opposite of blame. So procrastination, victim thinking, blame, those are the three traps that are covered in QBQ, the book, and in the parenting book. And we deal with uh, those three traps and how to get rid of them by rising to a new level, a new level of personal accountability. What a great place to live life. Oh, isn't it? I know there's a, um, a gal that I love to follow. Her name is Marie Forleo. And she says, says the phrase, everything is figureoutable. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's I, a technical dictionary. I can't term. spell that, but it sounds good. <laughs> but I love it because it is figureoutable if you take responsibility, right? If you if you hold yourself accountable and you look for the solutions. Yep. So that's what I love most. And, about and if I could say this, because your, your listeners probably haven't read the QBQ yet, we're, we're going to take that to one more level. And there's one more level because not – not I can't solve every problem. I'm just talking about me. I can't solve every problem. I can't fix every mess. But at that highest level, sometimes I can let go of it. So we, we teach in both books, as well as my other book. We have another book called Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional. And then we have Flipping the Switch, which is the sequel to QBQ. So we have four or five books. They're all at QBQ.com. But we do teach at some point, we have to ask the ultimate QBQ. And what is the ultimate QBQ? Here it is. How can I let go of what I can't control? That is a powerful question that's important to remember because when I can't do anything to fix the problem, I might just need to let go of it. And that really ties back into the fact that I can only change me. You know, somebody in my life might be have, engaging in a behavior that's wrong. I'm not talking about managing people, but I might be <clears throat> displeased with a, a grown son or a, or a, or a sibling or a parent, I can't change them. But I can ask, well, how can I let go of what I can't control? So there's, there's, a, there's a level of accountability where we dismiss the problem and move on because we can't change it. Do you think that applies more to people? Like it, it seems sometimes that, as you said earlier, this book can't be about who else needs to read it. It needs to be about me. And so I think sometimes we get caught up in, well, if they would just this, if they would just change this or do this differently. And so, like, for me, I feel like that applies in many times to other people. Like, we can't go change somebody else, so we have to let go of that, as you mentioned with yep. your wife earlier. You have to let go of that part and figure out how you can just be the best you because you're going to attract different different 
concepts from other people when when you're in the position to attract that. Would you not agree? Mm-hmm. Well, and so that just makes me, you know, think. Okay, well, I I still need. There are some things I can let go of, but I think most of the time it feels like that would apply to people. Well, but see, everything's people. So let's talk about real estate. A transaction goes south because somebody gave somebody the wrong information. Somebody misquoted somebody. Somebody made a mistake. The the, the closing gets delayed because of human error. I mean, everything comes down to people. So all we're saying with the QBQ message is, you know, I I guess I could even change the language. I've never said it this way. Either fix it or move on because sometimes you can't fix it. And if you can't fix it, you've got to move on. So if, if a mistake has occurred... It's in the past. See, that's what we talk about in in my live sessions. All leaders recognize that all problems are in the past, solutions are now. So if the problem, I mean, every mistake that's ever happened is in the past because it's it's at least a millisecond behind where I am right now. It's in the past. I can't change it. Always. So problems are in the past, solutions are now. So, you know, in, in a more transactional or business sense, if there's a mistake, I can't change the fact that it was a mistake. Now, I might be able to rectify in some way. My wife just had this situation this morning with a, a company she orders from online. They totally missed the mark. They totally dropped the ball. And without getting into too many details, they had an opportunity to fix or rectify or at least move beyond with an apology the mistake that was made. But they stuck to their guns. My wife ordered over $300 worth of storage containers for suitcases that you'd use to pack when you travel across the country. Just, I'm, I'm going to say, this is going to sound sexist, Marguerite, but I'm going to say it. It's, it's, it's female stuff, okay? okay. Meaning, <laughs> meaning, meaning the storage stuff. She wants, she wants a little uh, uh, case for her shoes, and she wants a case for this and a case for that. You know, I'm a guy. You know what I do? I throw everything in my wheelie, and I run, the, run to the Denver airport. Anyway, to make a short story long, she she bought over $300 worth of stuff, a mistake was made, and instead of rectifying it or helping uh, everybody move beyond it, they kind of stuck to their guns, and now she's simply saying, okay, my product's on the way, but I won't do business there again. Now, the original mistake can never be changed, but somebody inside that company could have said, what can I do to make a difference at this moment? How can I help the customer want to do business with us again? So personal accountability in the end, everything is about people. Everything is about relationships because humans make mistakes. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to dwell on those mistakes? Are we going to critique people constantly? Are we going to be a critical spirit kind of person? Or are we going to pause and say, well, what can I do to let go of what I can't control? And how can I move beyond this? And what can I do to contribute today? So personal accountability. What's fun about this idea, Marguerite, I've been teaching for 20 years. It just it applies everywhere. I mean, everywhere. That's, that's how the parenting book came about. I was out speaking at you know, big companies like State Farm, and 80% of every audience were, was parents, and they'd come up to me and go, oh, I can use this at home with my, with my teenager. So finally, my wife and I got around to putting <clears throat> the QBQ into a parenting format. Personal accountability, good stuff. I think that it's brilliant, and I think that the more that this happens – the greater the planets can become, really, because I think <laughs> right. people step back. Absolutely. I mean, I know that sounds extreme, but, you know, when people take that, they will put in the effort. And you will see clearly, like, there, uh, there was a commercial playing here, and it, and it made me crazy. I wanted to call the radio station because there was a commercial that came out, and it said, did you know that the average CEO in our area makes $5,000 and the average 
fast food worker makes $9 an hour. Yep. And they and they were saying there's something wrong with that that you know the, the wages need to be increased and I was sitting there thinking I'm like holy cow so the the CEO has spent who knows how many years of blood sweat and tears putting in hundreds of hours a week in in many cases mm-hmm. you know doing yep. everything they can to possibly get to that position and not that a fast food worker doesn't deserve respect and and of course not this is not about human respect. But if I could just jump in on that one. Here's the, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to jump in because here's the problem with what the, the scenario you just described. Um, I will not defend a CEO's pay, but I won't apologize for a fast food workers' pay. Let the market figure it out and stop trying to encourage victim thinking and envy. See, people who succeed, the fast food worker who someday becomes – the CEO, they did not suffer from envy. They did not suffer from jealousy. They did not suffer from victim thinking. They did not suffer from entitlement. They saw the CEO. They saw the wealthy, financially wealthy person. And they said, I'm going to do that too. And then they worked their way end off. Or they went back to school. Or they came up with a brilliant idea and patented it. They did something to get there. They didn't wallow in victim thinking. And that ad you just told me about, that ad was encouraging the lower-paid people of the world to possess envy, and envy gets us nowhere. All it does is create anger and victim thinking. And that's the opposite of everything we're talking about today. You know, back in 1986, when I took the risk to, lo- to leave the company I was working for, a fine company, I was on salary, making 27000 a year with a wife and two daughters, 1986, and I took the risk to go out and sell training on commission when people told me I shouldn't do it. Oh, you can't do that. And a year, a year later, I got a one-month commission check for $27,000, equal to my annual salary at the company before that. So what, what were my choices? I could have stayed at that big company, complained about the politics, complained about the crummy chair I had to sit in, complained about the bus ride I took to work every day, complained about my three different bosses, talk about matrix, or I could have done something. Well, I I did something. I left. I got into sales and started making, in in one month, the commission, a commission check equal to my annual salary. There's the choice. There's the choice. I could whine and complain and play victim, or I can do something about it. Well, you know, uh, Mr. Miller, I tell you, this has been one of my all-time favorite podcasts. I've really enjoyed your book. And oh, you say that to all your guests. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I have to say, this is my newest one and my favorite one so far. Thank you. It's been really a true pleasure, and I just love your book, and I'm looking forward to getting the other books that you have out there. I haven't read those, so I'm going to get out there and order Well, I appreciate them. that. And everything, like I say, can be found at qbq.com. If your listeners do do you know Facebook, face, Facebook, excuse me, they can just type the QBQ T H E QBQ into Facebook and find us there. And on Twitter, I'm at QBQ guy QBQ G U Y. So we're we're out there on social media. And we'll be sure to post all the links on our blog as Wonderful. well. Wonderful. So thank you again for your time. This has been truly an honor, and uh, I'm really excited. So I look forward to one of these days. I'm going to come to an event or something. I'd love to meet you in person. This is, this well, is you fly to Denver, I'll buy you coffee. That sounds perfect.
Thank you very much, sir. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Marguerite.